You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. I will read God's word for us, and then we will pray, and then we'll begin seeing what God has to teach us from his word this morning. So Jude verse 8 through 13. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's feasts, as they feast with you, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the phone of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word, Lord, we pray as we've just sung in prayer, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, we know that your word is true. It is infallible. It is inerrant. Lord, it is what you have given to us to build up your church in godliness. Father, it's the word through the word that the gospel is preached. And so, Father, as we seek to honor your word, as we seek to listen attentively, Father, we pray your spirit would give us understanding of it. And Lord, as we look at Jude, particularly these verses in verse 8 through 13, as we look at his strong rebuke of these false teachers that had infiltrated the church, Father, we pray that you would sharpen our discernment to recognize false teachers. And Lord, that we might have such confident assurance of what the true gospel is, that we would be able to identify its myriad imposters. So Father, we pray for wisdom. We pray for your help. And Father, above all, we pray that Christ would be magnified as your word is preached this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? It seems like the, the only wrong that is recognized in our society today is telling someone else that they are wrong. Isn't that funny? To disagree with someone is the height of personal offense. So for the most part, we are content in our society to kind of let each other live however you want to live, think however you want to think, act however you want to act, as long as you don't accuse me of being wrong, we'll be okay. And similarly, the only heresy in the church today is to use the word heresy. (laughs) While we should not use that word flippantly, it's kind of a sad indictment on the state of the church that that word, heresy, has become taboo 
something that you must not utter, something that's divisive, something that's controversial. And, you know, we must not trivialize this word heresy by, by using it loosely. And some people have that problem where everything's heresy, right? Throwing it out like a dagger against anyone who happens to disagree with you, right? Oh, that's heresy. Well, maybe, probably not. Maybe just disagree over a minor point of, of doctrine. But, but as Judas telling us here, as he's admonishing us, you remember to contend for the faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints. Part of, part of contending for the faith means that we have to recognize distortions of the Christian faith. As Jude is urging us, we have to defend, we have to contend for this faith, but we have to recognize when it's being perverted, when it's being twisted, when it's something sub or non-Christian. So every Christian, and yes, it includes you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this I'm talking to you, you must have a deep enough understanding of the breadth of the gospel that you will be able to recognize false gospels when they spew from the mouths of false teachers. You've got to know the gospel well enough. You've got to be rooted and grounded in it so much so that when you hear something that is in contradiction to the gospel, that you're spiritual senses just kind of start tingling, right? You realize that there's something not right about what's being said. And even if you can't quite put your finger on exactly what it is, you've been catechized and taught and brought up in the gospel to such an extent that you can recognize error. After all, we can't contend for the faith if we can't identify its attackers, that's what Jude is trying to help us do. So, so what is, this is important as we begin this sermon, what is then the true gospel? This faith has been once for all delivered to the faith. Well, well, we have to know the gospel if we hope to identify imposters who spew forth a false gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news that God sent his son Jesus, who possessed the fullness of deity and humanity, and that this Jesus, God's son, was sent into the world to die in the place of sinners like you and me. And that as Jesus takes on the punishment of our sin, he then gifts us with his righteousness by faith. And so those then who call out in faith to Jesus receive this precious salvation and the guarantee of the victory through Jesus's triumphant resurrection from the dead. So now... For those of us who've been saved by Christ, who've put our faith in Jesus, Jesus calls us out of our wicked ways, out of our former ignorance, and he now has given us new hearts that have been attuned by the Spirit so that we can live in light of God's gracious love, pursuing holy lives in Christ Jesus and telling the world of the salvation to be found in Jesus until he comes again. That is the gospel in a nutshell. Right? This is a, a summary of what we hold to, this faith that we cling to as Christians, as believers. So as Jude is writing to these Jewish Christians here in the first century, we, we remember we've seen that this, this church has been infiltrated by sneaky false teachers. Jude says they've crept in, and as they've crept in, they've subverted and they've distorted the gospel, this precious faith that has been delivered once and, all, once and for all for the saints. And so Jude is trying to resource them, trying to sound the alarm, but he also wants them to, to have the discernment so they can combat this false teaching. And as Jude helps this first century church 
identify false teaching, he is also helping us here in 2019 learn how to spot false teaching. So Jude identifies some common characteristics of false teachers. And as we look at verse 8 through 13 of Jude, I want to highlight seven, yes, seven traits of false teachers. So in sum, learn to recognize the common traits of false teachers. Learn to recognize the common traits of false teachers. So before we start walking in to these seven traits here, let me kind of break down this text for you and help you understand how how Jude is functioning in his argument here. So Jude 8 through 13, this is kind of right in the heart of this letter, and it's kind of in the messy middle of Jude's argument. And so it can be difficult to follow his train of thought. So what Jude does is, if you were here last week, you'll remember he kind of weaves in and out of illustrations and images. And a lot of these illustrations and images just feel very foreign to us. But to the original audience that Jude was writing to, they they would have easily followed along as he kind of bounces from illustration to illustration. They got the references. They knew exactly what he was talking about. But for us, it's a little bit harder because we're not always entirely sure what what is Jude referencing here. So structurally, if you look at verse 8 through 10 of the text before us, Jude takes these three examples of judgment that he gave earlier in verse 5 through 7. He takes those three examples and then he applies them to the false teachers in the church that Jude is addressing. And then verse 11 through 13 of the text is a prophetic oracle of judgment that Jude makes upon these false teachers. And how do we know that? Well, look how verse 11 starts. Woe to them, right? That's a prophetic. It should call back your memory to the Old Testament prophetic judgments. Woe to them. And so as we try to understand this passage and what Jude is doing here, I want to take these sets of verses and I want to show you seven common traits of false teachers that Jude helps identify for us. And I believe these traits are still just as evident markers of false teachers today. So let's dive in. What's the first trait? Well, false teachers, one, defiles the flesh. False teachers defile the flesh. The flesh. So we see this in verse 8. Defile the flesh. Jude brings back the attention in verse 8 to these people. And who are these people? Well, these people in Jude, they're the false teachers. And he says three things about them in verse 8. He says they defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. Do you see that in the text, verse 8? So I want to highlight the first one of those for this first point here. The first verbal phrase, defile the flesh. Now, if you've been with us through this series in Jude, you'll remember that this is a recurring issue that Jude keeps bringing up about these false teachers. So look in verse 4 of the text. He calls them, what does he call them? ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Those fleshly sins is is what these false teachers seem to be promoting. And also based on the example that Jude gives of Genesis 6 and Sodom and Gomorrah that we saw last week, these sins of the flesh, particularly these promotions of, of sinful sexual practices, this seems to be what Jude is chiefly concerned about with these false teachers that these are people who through their teaching are defiling the flesh. And here's one of the first characteristics of false teachers that Jude helps us identify this morning. Any Christian teacher that champions sinful living ought to immediately raise our suspicions. 
That's a telltale sign of a false teacher. If their teaching is leading people to embrace what God has clearly said is sin, then we can know that that teaching is not of the Lord. Look at what verse, uh, Jude says in verse 10 of the text. These false teachers, he says, do not have understanding, but act like unreasoning animals, understanding instinctively. So these false teachers, they're just operating out of their fleshly desires, their impulses, their whims, any carnal desire that comes to their bodies, they, they just indulge, no questions asked. And they use their theology to justify that. So their false teaching has produced this lifestyle that has led these teachers and those who follow them to consistently defile the flesh, to do sinful things with their bodies. And this is the first sign of a false teacher in the church. Their teaching provokes the defilement of the flesh. Secondly, false teachers reject biblical authority. False teachers reject biblical authority. So look at what Jude says in in verse 8. These teachers reject authority. Reject authority. So we saw earlier in verse 4 that Jude has already said these false teachers deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The, the Judas said by their teaching, they're rejecting Jesus as their master, as their king, as they're living in opposition to what Jesus has said. They have rejected the authority of Jesus and his word, and they have substituted it for something else. Now, whenever you hear a teacher diminish or disregard the importance of the Bible in the Christian life, warning, be wary. It's a sign, right? That a false teacher might be present because God is the authority. I think we can all agree on that, right? God is the authority through his son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the authority. That means that Jesus's breathed out word is his authority, which is the Bible. So the Bible alone is our only sufficient guide for faith and practice. It is the word of the Lord. That's why we say that when we read God's word, because we want to remind ourselves, even tough passages, even hard passages of rebuke like this one, it is God's word, and we submit ourselves to it. And so as these false teachers reject the authority of God, look at what Jude says they are replacing it with. Look at what he says in verse verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, relying on their dreams. You see, rather than standing upon God's word, these teachers have replaced God's word as the authority for their dreams. They believe God had given them new revelation through their visions and dreams. And the big problem is that apparently these dreams and visions are contradicting what God has plainly stated in his word. Now, dreams have been a way God has communicated with his people in the Bible. Joseph, of course, being one of the most preeminent examples, right? So we can't dismiss dreams and visions outright. But here, Jude is giving a needed warning about dreams and visions. And here's the warning. Everything must be tested by Scripture. Everything must be tested by Scripture. You can't have a dream, and then teach and live in a way contrary to what God has plainly said in his written word. That's the problem. 
So dreams and visions, they have often been used as a tactic of false teachers, used to pull people astray. After all, dreams are subjective and personal. So they're impossible to refute, aren't they? How am I going to argue with you about a dream you had? That's, I don't even know if you had the dream or not. I wasn't there. I, it's, so it's subjective. It's personal. It's, it's difficult. You can't contend for a dream. You can't contend for the written word of God, objective as the standard. But dreams, as we also can know, can also be attributed not just to the Lord, but, but dreams can come about through delusion or even demons as well. So by relying on the authority of dreams, these false teachers, Jude says, have rejected the authority of God. So this is similar to John warned us, as Pastor Steve read for us earlier in the service from 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, anyone who claims to have received new revelation from God, revelation that is equal to biblical authority or even supersedes biblical authority, if you're anybody talking that way, run away as fast as you can. False teacher is in your midst. In fact, anyone who claims to rely on personal religious experiences, sharing voices and the like, be be cautious. Be cautious. And this has been a growing concern today, not only in the more mystical side of the, of the church, but a lot of these ideas that we're talking about have found them, their way into mainstream popular Christian resources, particularly resources aimed to women. So the runaway bestseller, Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, often follows these dangerous practices that Jude's warning about. As the author, Sarah Young, claims to hear from God personally, and write down what she heard God say to her. And she does this because for her, the Bible wasn't enough. She wanted a new and personal word from God. And I'm not making that up. Here's Sarah Young in her own words. This is what she writes in the introduction to that book. She wrote, I began to wonder if I could receive messages during my times of communing with God. I had been writing in a prayer journal for years, but but that was one way communication. I did all the talking. I knew that God communicated me with through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. You see, one of the main problems with a book like Jesus Calling is that it, it teaches and reinforces this idea that Scripture's not sufficient, but it's inefficient. That the Bible's not enough for my Christian life. I need something more. And though Sarah Young has by far been the most successful, there have been many others who have similarly tried to subvert biblical authority and the sufficiency of the Bible and replace it with an experience of personal religious feelings. You see, the second characteristic of false teacher that Jude is warning us of are those who would reject or replace biblical authority. That's the second marker we have to watch out for. Third, false teachers presume in judgment. False teachers presume in judgment. So this third verbal phrase in verse 8, Jude states these false teachers blaspheme the glorious ones. So here's the big question. What does Jude have in mind in this phrase, the glorious ones? Well, it's difficult to understand. 
Jude clearly has in mind some sort of angelic creature, either angels or demons. And although I believe Jude's original audience would have known exactly for sure what these false teachers were doing, after all, they were there. We, on the other hand, we're hearing one side of this telephone conversation. It's difficult for us to know exactly who these glorious ones were as Jude uses this term. But as Jude uses this phrase, glorious ones, he does not have in mind goodness or badness, good angels or bad angels, right? In fact, I think it might be better to understand this phrase as the celestial ones. So most scholars believe that what Jude is referring to here refers to demons, to demons, particularly in light of the illustration that he'll give in the very next verse. So what these false teachers taught, as best as we can kind of reconstruct what's going on, is that they were making some sort of judgment upon these demons, blaspheming them with presumptuous judgment upon them. So Jude chooses to illustrate this point with an extra-biblical source that describes the, uh, Michael, the archangel, contending with Satan over Moses' corpse, Moses' body. So the death of Moses is recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 1 through 12. You can go back and read that if you're interested. But there is no record in the Old Testament of this disputation between Michael and Satan over Moses' body. So where does this come from? Well, the early church fathers, particularly Clement of Alexandria, attributes this story to a book called The Assumption of Moses. Now, no known copies exist of this book. It's been lost in history. But Jude's audience, a Jewish audience of Jewish believers in Palestine, they would have been familiar with this story as an illustration. So as Jude references this dispute, Jude's not affirming the historical accuracy of this, this story, but he's most likely referencing it as a way to illustrate his points, as a preacher might reference a movie or something like that in a sermon. So what is Jude's point? Why is he bringing this up? Well, here's the, the, the way the illustration supports what Jude's saying. Though the archangel, Michael, had the right position and authority to rebuke the devil and to pronounce on him a blasphemous judgment, Michael didn't do that. Instead, Michael said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. But these false teachers, Jude says, they blaspheme what they do not understand. They are presumptuous in their judgment on demons. And so instead of humbly relying on the authority and rebuke of God, they're, they're taking matters into their own hands. And here Jude gives, I think, another trait of false teachers, a characteristic that we need to pay attention for, is that they can often be overly zealous about spiritual creatures and overly confident and presumptuous in their judgment over them. So they often speak with authority they just don't possess. They claim to speak and act with divine authority, even though they do not possess it. So perhaps maybe our problem here in America today as believers is that we err on failing to acknowledge spiritual forces at work in the world today. Perhaps we talk too little of angels and demons in the world. But, but false teachers can become overly preoccupied with angels and demons. They attribute everything to some spiritual force that's going on. So when the sound system acts up, well, we need to start casting out a demon in the sound system, right? There's something in there. We got to get out. Someone get your holy water. Let's go take care of that, right? 
So they start just attributing, that's a silly example, but they start attributing everything to spiritual forces that they really don't have any discernment in, whether it's really a spiritual force or whether it's just an accident that happened to happen. So just as failing to recognize spiritual powers at work is a mistake, we don't want to make that mistake either, overly obsessing about them and attributing everything to demons can expose an obsession and error that leads to other theological errors down the line. So Jude is warning that these leaders ought not to be presumptuous in their judgments. Fourthly, false teachers lead others astray. False teachers lead others astray. As Jude begins his oracle of judgment against these false teachers in verse 11, we see him use another set of three illustrations. Three is one of Jude's favorite numbers. Everything's in sets of threes. I'm convinced he would have been a Baptist pastor today um, if he had had been alive. So, So he loves these sets of threes. And so he says to them, woe to them. And the first one we see is for they walked in the way of Cain. Here Jude is bouncing between illustrations and images again, right? So so who is Cain? If you remember back to, to Genesis, both Cain and Abel were sons of Adam and Eve. And in hate and jealousy over his brother, Cain killed his brother Abel. And then after his murder, Cain is cast out. And the lineage of Cain, as you read his genealogy, just kind of spirals in corruption. And so in the Jewish tradition, Cain kind of represented a person who hated other people and who set a pattern that led other people astray to follow in his path. And so as Jude references these false teachers, how they walked in the way of Cain, Jude isn't necessarily accusing them of murder, but he is accusing them of hating the brothers, hating the people in the church, and doing violence against them in such a way in which he's actively they're actively leading other people away from the Lord into destruction. And this is another thing we have to learn about false teachers is false teachers can amass a crowd, can't they? They can get people to show up, but as they lead people, as they use their platforms, as they use their microphones, they're not leading people to God. They're leading people away from God. These false teachers really don't care about their followers. Jude says in verse 12, look at what he says, they are shepherds feeding themselves. They're not really interested in the people that that are under their care. They're simply using them. They hate them and they're leading them to destruction. So that's the fourth thing. False teachers lead others astray. Fifthly, false teachers pursue monetary gain. False teachers pursue monetary gain. So here we see Jude reference Balaam. Balaam. So look at what he says in verse 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. So the account of Balaam, this is another Old Testament reference. This is a reference in the book of Numbers. And Balaam is most often remembered for his talking donkey. When most people hear about Balaam, that's the thing that comes to mind, the donkey that that talks. And so Balaam's story in the book of Numbers, if you actually read it straight through, it actually plays like a bit of comedy. It's actually quite humorous because Balak of the Moabites tries to hire Balaam to prophesy against Israel. So Balaam agrees to do that. He takes the money, but then the Lord compelled him 
not to prophesy against Israel, but to prophesy blessing on Israel and actually against the Moabites. So, so it's kind of a humorous situation in which Balaam's paid to do one thing and then he's compelled by God to do another. But, but in the Jewish tradition, and this is what Jude has in mind here, Balaam was often a pejorative term, a label used for a prophet for hire, a prophet for hire. So as Jude brings up Balaam, he compares the prophet to these false teachers. And like Balaam, these false teachers are prophets for hire. They're willing to say whatever, <laughs> whatever is needed for their own gain. <coughs> Excuse me. Still recovering from my illness last week. So false teachers are often motivated by their own greed, aren't they? Their love of money, their love of stealth, the accumulation of wealth. And of course, the prosperity gospel teachers are the unquestioned examples of this in our day and age. They flaunt their wealth. They don't just have wealth. They flaunt their wealth and their ministry makes them incredibly rich. So a few years ago, you might've heard this story. There was a false teacher named Creflo Dollar who had a giving campaign so that he could buy himself a $6.5 million jet because every pastor needs a $6.5 million jet, right? And he got it. He raised the funds, he got it. Another popular Instagram account that's come up the last few months is an Instagram account called Preachers in Sneakers. Maybe you've heard of this one before. If not, you can check it out on Instagram after church day. Don't do it now. But you can go on Instagram, you can follow this account. And what this account does is it posts pictures of preachers in America with their, their outfit on that they preach from on stage. And it posts their expensive footwear and other designer clothing that they're wearing, and it overlays the retail price of the items in which they're wearing. And so the fashion accessories tend to average between one to $2,000 for a pair of shoes, with some items approaching upwards to 10 grand. And these pastors are wearing them to preach in on Sunday, right? So, so we, this, this sort of stuff ought to send warning signs in our minds, right? that if a preacher is not only making that much, be able to afford several thousand dollar sneakers, but then almost flaunting it on stage, exhibiting this lifestyle of wealth and prosperity, that ought to, to raise warnings in our minds that something is off with that gospel that guy's preaching. Because while we should not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, meaning that's a good thing to pay your pastor, thank you, right? <laughs> Teachers who earn an excessive amount of wealth from ministry should raise our eyebrows. An excessive amount of wealth. When a man or woman's ministry makes them extremely rich, they most likely have done what Jude is talking about here. They've abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. So false teachers pursue monetary gain. Sixthly, false teachers rebel against God. They rebel against God. You see, this third illusion that Jude makes in light of these false teachers is Korah's rebellion. So look again at verse 11, just to see how Jude orients these. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So the book of Numbers also records Korah's rebellion. And so while in the wilderness... Korah attempted a coup to remove 
Moses and Aaron as their leaders. However, Korah and those who followed him, you'll remember, were swallowed up by the earth. They were destroyed. The rebellion against Moses' and Aaron's leadership was not just a rebellion against those two men, but it was a rebellion against God. And like Korah's rebellion, Judah saying, so too will these false teachers perish in the rebellion against the Lord. So at the heart of false teaching is this sort of rebelliousness against God, a rejection of his authority, which we've already talked about this morning as we've uncovered in this passage. But Korah's rebellion here shows us a, a different aspect of this rejection of authority. As these false teachers will reject and attack faithful teachers of God's word. So other, other men, other pastors that teach the word faithfully, they'll just kind of cast them to the side. They'll ignore them. They'll label them. They'll, they'll disregard them. False teachers reject the concerns of their critics. There is no humility there. They are above correction. So instead, they often attack those who are orthodox. And they'll say something like, well, you know, you're just, you're just narrow-minded, right? You're just jealous of my success. You're just jealous of my audience. And in their rebellion against God, what tends to happen is these false teachers often rebel against the faithful teachers of God's word. That's what these false teachers were doing. In fact, we see that all over the place in the New Testament, don't we? Where Paul is constantly having to defend his apostleship because these false apostles have come in and they've said, are you really going to listen to Paul? Man, that guy's bald, right? <laughs> He's bald. He's not a good public speaker. Why are you going to listen to him? Listen to us. And so we see that pattern even in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, right? In these churches, that the apostles and the faithful teachers of the word are being criticized and cast to the side, and these false teachers are trying to step in and, and convince the church to follow them. You see, false teachers rebel against God, and they also rebel against faithful teachers of God. They refuse correction. In pride, they go their own way, and that way, as Jude tells us, leads to their destruction, just like Korah just like his rebellion. And that leads, seventhly, false teachers shipwreck the church. False teachers shipwreck the church. Jude describes these teachers as hidden reefs, hidden reefs in verse 12. So the image, of course, is a nautical one. If you do any boating, I certainly don't, but I have some friends who do, and so I can learn these things. But, but when riding in a boat... You know, it's sometimes difficult to understand what's going on beneath the surface. Reefs in the water can lay hidden in the shallows. And in the first century, they didn't have any depth finders. So you just had to kind of look and pay attention and be careful. Lest you wreck your boat and run aground on these hidden reefs beneath the surface. Like rocks in the shallow waters, so are false teachers to the church. They are sneaky, they're hard to spot, but they can lead to shipwreck if unidentified and not dealt with. So Jude says these false teachers are, are hidden reefs at the church's love feasts. So what are the love feasts? <clears throat> well, this was the time where the church would gather for the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> and the way they did the Lord's Supper in the first century was a little bit different than the way we do it today. The Lord's Supper wasn't a snack in the first century, but it was a full-blown meal. 
a potluck dinner, if you will. Another way we know that the early church were Baptists, right? Because they had potluck dinners all the time. And so this is what they did. They would eat the bread at the start of the meal. They would feast together with everything everybody brought and dine together. And then they would close with the raising of the cup, remembering Jesus's blood. And so the Lord's Supper was was a full-blown meal that the church would enjoy together. It was an intimate time of fellowship in the church. It was at these love feasts, though, that the false teachers were at their most dangerous as they, look at what Jude says, as they feast with you without fear. Meaning that these, these false teachers were welcomed into the most intimate aspect of the church's life. The intimate aspects of the church's events and gathering together. But Jude says that they're not there. They're not there to feed you. These false teachers are there to feed themselves. They are shepherds, he says, feeding themselves. See, this shows you just how far, how sneaky, how dangerous these these reefs, these false teachers have crept into the church. The church must be on guard. False teachers emerge from within. They don't necessarily come from outside. So then what Jude does is he begins to unload on these false teachers and this sort of rapid fire, a vivid pronouncement of prophetic judgment against these false teachers. And then in the language that he's using here, he's he's again borrowing from this book called First Enoch. And as he declares judgment upon them, it's it's fascinating that, that Jude's judgment upon these false teachers spans the cosmos, doesn't it? from the sky to the wind, to the trees on the ground, to the wild waves of the sea, to the wandering stars of the sky, Jude is proclaiming a cosmic-wide judgment upon these false teachers. Because like waterless clouds, these false teachers provide no refreshing rains to cause spiritual growth and fruit in God's people. Like the wind, they are swept to and fro by their own desires for sensuality, by the whims of culture. There is no biblical rootedness in these false teachers. And like fruitless trees in autumn, there is no harvest when you would expect it. So the tree will be twice dead, Jude says. It is dead spiritually, producing no fruit, and then it will be uprooted eternally in the end of the age and burned. And like the wild waves of the sea, these false teachers, they churn up a commotion. They create drama. They make a mess. They create a ruckus, but they're only casting up the foam of their own shame. Like wandering stars, these false teachers do not stay where they are fixed by God and his design in the sky, but they are rebelling against God's created order. You see, this judgment of woe that the Jew began in verse 11 is concluded with this promise of forever gloom and darkness. Look at what Jude says. For whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. You see, Jude concludes as he's helping us identifying these false teachers. He's rebuking them as well. And he's condemning them in prophetic judgment that these false teachers, Jude says, They will face eternity separated from God and will be underneath his condemnation. You see, from Jude's warning, I've sought to help us identify seven traits of false teachers, seven warning signs that you ought to look out for. 
then I pray that Jude's words here will sharpen your spiritual discernment against false teachers that can creep into the church. And brothers and sisters, I wish, how I wish we lived in a world where you could just trust any TV preacher or any so-called Christian book without concern, but you, you just can't. You just can't. We don't live in that world. In fact, that world has never existed, right? Even in the first century, it required spiritual discernment. Everything, everything must be tested by the authority of God's word, including me, including your pastors, right? Everything goes back to the authority of God's word. And so we, as your pastors at Redemption Church, we, we long to protect you from wolves among the flock that seek to devour you. And so we are happy to point you to, to edifying resources that are safe and profitable for your growth in Christ. We want to, to teach you the word of God so clearly, so, so, so powerfully and boldly that your discernment would be sharpened, not by my words, but by the words of Scripture, so that you will be able to recognize false teachings and phony gospels when you hear them. Jude's word in our text today helps us recognize some of these common traits of false teachers. And though there are many, sadly, many false teachers, always remember, church, that Jesus is the good teacher. He is the good teacher. He instructs us in the truth. And he has given to his people, his spirit, who now will lead us into all truth. The truth that Jesus has died for sinners like us, that he has saved us by his grace, and that he sanctifies us so that we might glorify him. So. Church, stick close to Jesus. The greatest safety you can have against false teaching. Stick close to Jesus. Listen to his words. And as you contend for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints, look out for these seven common traits of false teachers who seek to pervert this faith that has been once and all delivered to us. Let's pray together.